Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling show around, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Basio. This is What's NXT for episode 417, October 25th, 2017. This week was an amazing episode, and we're also going to be talking about Asuka's debut on TLC. So, this one might run a little long, Alec. I'm fine with that, as long as we get to talk about Asuka. We definitely get to talk about Asuka. Maybe too much... Yeah, we're not recording this after the fact at all. Speaking of recording it after the fact, before we start, you want to get a little bit of the bullshit out of the way? Yeah, sure. Cool. Did you watch the uh, TLC pay-per-view, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs on Sunday? I did, yeah. I watched it. What'd you think? It was was okay. It was pretty good. It was okay. Yeah, it was all right. We'll talk about it later with the Asuka match, but yeah, it was all right. Did you watch Raw? I got about 25 minutes into it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Did you see SmackDown? No. It wasn't as great. I mean, Sami Zayn is still amazing, but, you know. Sure. You watch 205 Live? What is that? Why do you keep asking me about that? What is that? It's uh, it's their cruiserweight division. Oh. It's all tucked way down below SmackDown Live. Oh, cool. You can barely see it. Wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know they were starting a new show. Also, you can only watch it on the WWE Network, so. Yeah, that would really put a damper on things, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Hmm. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Well, with all of that out of the way... How about we talk about NXT? You know it. Excellent. NXT this week opens with William Regal actually acting like a general manager. He's a... Got a camera on him. First, he says that because Tanera Conti ruined the first women's three-way for Nikki Cross, Nikki Cross is going to be in the Battle Royale this week. He then also says that he spoke with the authors of Pain, Sanity, and Undisputed Era about, quote, proper conduct. (laughs) So he straightened them out. No longer going to be any of these run-ins. Next week, the authors of Pain will get their tag team title rematch against Sanity. Well, that's what happens when you run in too many times. William Regal calls your mom. Parent-teacher conference happened, and William Regal goes, you know, they're bright boys, but they just get into trouble. If they could just focus on the wrestling. Even the poorest student can end up becoming... Oh, say, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go back to filming my 24 documentary. And then the first match, Oni Lorkin comes out with his single finger in the air. And then Danny Birch comes out. And he does the uh, V for victory, two fingers in the air. It's going to be a tag team. We've been waiting forever for this. I know. I was super excited. It's been pretty great, yeah. It's Danny Birch and Oni Lorkin versus... Moss and Sabatelli, the HGH boys. Sure. I just call them muscle boys. They're the muscle buddies. Yeah, they are muscle buddies. They look like guys who do a little bit of steroids and then spend their dad's money at the club. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, not enough steroids. They don't have gender veins. That's true. They don't have gender veins, and their entire back isn't broken out in pimples. They're still pretty smooth looking. They're smooth muscle boys. They're smooth muscle boys. When Moss and Sabatelli are coming out, Moro basically pins what this whole match is going to be about. He says that Moss and Sabatelli are finally starting to work well together. Quote, instant chemistry is not always a reality. So we pit Moss and Sabatelli against Danny Burch and Oni Larkin, who they keep saying now respect each other, but just spend the entire match fighting like they're in a singles match. Early match, Larkin and Birch are overpowered by Moss and Sabatelli. Birch makes room for himself, but forgets the tag, and that leads to a kind of prolonged sequence of Moss and Sabatelli just absolutely beating the shit out of him. When he finally is able to break away, it's not because he's trying to fight back. He's using his advantage against somebody like Moss and Sabatelli, which isn't going to be his strength, but... He uses speed and kind of resilience. He ducks between Sabatelli's legs. He dodges a clothesline from Moss and tags Lorcan in. Lorcan is super fresh, so he goes to work with chops, uppercuts. He does this amazing looking blockbuster. But then Moss catches a cross body from him and does a fallaway slam into the turnbuckle. And Nigel immediately pins this by saying that. That's a way to extinguish the fire. Keep only down. Moss with the strength of a fire hose to extinguish that fire. Yeah. The strong kind of beat the brave here with them putting Oni Lurkin into a gory special and hitting a combo gory special running bulldog. Nigel is now has him up in the gory special. Here comes Sabatelli off the ropes. Running bulldog. And the crowd fucking hates them. <laughs> yeah. No, this was really cool. S&M. Yeah, I like that. I didn't get that for a really long time. <laughs> is that a thing or is that just something that you noticed? I think it's that's the reason why they always call them Sabatelli and Moss instead of Moss and Sabatelli. Welcome to Spot the Looney. I don't know if that's really what they're going for or what. I think those guys are really fun. They're growing on me a lot. You know what I like especially about them? How fucking bland they are. They really are. They're like one of the only wrestlers that when I think about how they're completely one note, I actually like it because they seem to be getting so much heat from the audience just because they go out there and don't do anything. They don't give you anything except beating up the people you like. They're almost constructed to be bland. Lorcan and Birch come out. They're just wearing black trunks. That's it. Black trunks, black boots. They look very plain, but they have a lot of character. The way they walk, everything about them. But you look at Sabatelli and Moss, they come out. Sabatelli has a fucking Superman sign on his crotch. He's like so boring. He's like the definition (laughs) of boring. Moss is where they get interesting. The guy has these amazing facial expressions. He looks like um, a spoiled child at all times. He looks shocked and in awe whenever anything happens that hits him. They're really great heel faces because they're just the face of a guy who you want to punch. Now he's got a beard. I think that has to go because you can't see his face anymore. I, I really like Moss. I think I disagree. I like him with the beard. I think of the two, I like Moss more. But Sabatelli was doing a really good job of talking a lot of shit in the ring. And it was always, why are you even fighting? 
Why, why are you doing this? And that would make the audience boo. Because they were like, no, these are our tough boys. Like, these are yeah. our strong boys who finally are friends and they're going to defeat everyone. No, they aren't. Yeah, we've been waiting for these guys to punch everybody. They barely got to punch anyone. These two muscle-bound missing links are going to come out barely literate no we're the best we're the best you suck you know what they are they're very literate in the language of teamwork you also get the feeling like they really get along i like that we can tell by the two of them that you kind of gravitate towards one versus the other because you know because it's a tag team eventually one of them's gonna turn on the other and it's gonna be sabatelli he's gonna turn on moss he looks like the kind of guy who probably strangle a puppy and nothing would change on his face he has a very american psycho vibe about him he reminds me of burn notice guy burn notice guy yeah burn notice guy that guy his face is clearly a mask that's just over an immense nothing behind it he has to kill somebody to feel something so it's interesting we're getting very excited over the heels here which i think is not always the goal their development is going really well these guys i don't even think i remembered until gargano was fighting them and i'm like yeah yeah." and they're pretty they they're coming a long way really fast but in the meantime birch and lorkin have a lot to do they were kind of still the focus of the story despite the fact that they lost the match and despite the fact that they didn't get a lot in as moro said you can see them having growing pains as a team no no i trust you i like you it's just the problem is i keep forgetting that you're there so do you like this slow build of the birch lorkin team yeah it's the best thing that you could do with them i don't think that they're a good match for they become a tag team and instantly run the division and if anything then becoming a tag team probably serves best to give the tag division a bit more depth we have a great tag division in nxt but everybody is operating on such a high level that you're either one of three teams in the main card or you're somebody like moss and sabatelli where people can forget about you having birch and lorkin come in they have to build to something because they're both so great on their own and they're so great together together they have such a great look and such a great character you don't want to put them at the top immediately because this way they can build sabatelli and moss without it seeming weird that sabatelli and moss go over like a sanity or something and then in a couple months we see it really click and all of a sudden they're just taking on all comers you know yeah the minute they get in the ring with the ely brothers we know that they've come as far as they need to go once they job for you you're on the way up the ely brothers are the bodhisattvas of the tag division They know the path to enlightenment, but have refused to take it themselves, to take it themselves so that they can usher other tag teams into the, into the main card. I never knew that the Bodhisattvas looked like two young Fred Sanfords. This is a big one. I'm dying. You get out, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you. Two double dragon opponents. (laughs) Two abobos. I like to do this to you every once in a while. Oh, God. You remember a couple weeks ago when you said that you liked the pairing of Danny Birch and Oni Lorcan because Danny Birch is clearly 15 years older and they have a mentor-mentee relationship? Please don't tell me that Danny Birch is younger than Oni Lorcan. <laughs> He's not younger, thankfully. Thank God. Trivia. Danny Birch is four years older than Oni Lurkin. Oni Lurkin is 31. Danny Birch is 35. What? 
It is rough to live in England. <laughs> That's something. Before we stop talking about this match, I want to mm. talk about the crowd in this match. There were a couple of Sabatelli and Moss guys that were doing the whole, like, flick money thing. Sabatelli went over to one of them, I think, and was like, yeah, which was kind of weird. It's nice to see the heels do something a little bit different, like when Cesaro rips up a picture or something. The crowd hated Sabatelli and Moss, but the thing that I really liked, because they haven't been a tag team yet, the crowd cheered on Danny Birch or Oni Lorcan. There was not a lot of like, let's go guys, like collective. I'm really looking forward to that moment when all of a sudden people start cheering them as a team to see how that looks and what that does. What's the tag team name? Is it Borkin? Oni Blorch. Oni Blorch. Doni Blorch. Doni Blorch. Doni Blorch. Why Doni Blorch? What about uh, Merkin? It's a little too inappropriate. Donnie Blorch. Big, bald, brawling boys. How about, like, bald punch? We gotta come up with something. Donnie Blorch. They'll figure it out. They're definitely going to draw a Victorian Marquis de Queensbury rules wrestling (laughs) card, right, with them. Oh, that'd be fun. Oh, that would be really fun. Then it'd just be like fisticuffs. Did you notice how fucked up the audio levels were for the first half of this episode? Yes. Yes. Moro is talking and he can't hear over the freaking music. So he's just talking and you're staring at him. You're like, Tino Sabatelli, three Somebody just fucking ramped up Sabatelli and Moss's entrance theme because whenever it's playing, you can't hear anybody else. You know what happened is a guy like turned around on the soundboard. He turned to talk to somebody. His elbow pushed up the sliders. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be able to pull any kind of audio from that match because it's just going to be... Tate being torn off the skin and immediately Moss using his... Sabatelli showing off all of the attributes that make for a successful tag team. <laughs> like the white noise of... A mic on full blast, you know? I mean, we can't talk too much about audio. We're a podcast. Next, we have a recap reel of Undisputed Era using Tenera Conti to ruin Nikki's match. Well, the Undisputed Era's plan worked as one half of the iconic duo. Peyton Royce caught a distracted cross and clinched a spot in the fatal four-way match at NXT TakeOver for the vacant NXT Women's Championship. And then they give hype for this next match it's the battle royale who will be number four with sane royce and moon to contend for the women's championship it's a 19 woman battle royale obviously we're not going to be able to talk about everybody and we're not going to be able to go through every single spot we're not going to be able to because i didn't even know who half of them were because there was a goddamn commercial break while they were coming out yeah that was super annoying either just have them all be in the ring or oh we're giving them entrances this was kind of a bonehead thing to do because i automatically wrote off everybody that i didn't see come in yeah of course well they're just standing in the ring now and i know it's unrealistic to think that i mean just for the theater of the whole thing you should probably introduce everybody and have everybody walk into the ring and then have me see it or like i said have it start with everybody in the ring in a circle that's fine too the big names here were even from the start 
Bianca Belair, Mercedes Martinez, Candice LeRae, Billy Kay, and then Nikki Cross came out with a crowd entrance, and it's that super cool Nikki Cross version of the Sanity intro. <laughs> already gotten their money's worth out of that music and yeah. all of the women look to the ramp and they're like oh shit you know nikki cross is gonna come barreling down the ramp and kill us all so let's be ready and then all of a sudden she's walking out of the uh, crowd entrance it was really great it definitely got a big reaction to everybody backing up and everything it, it looked great she kind of stalks towards the ring they all cower a little and then she bolts into the ring and homes right in on tanera conti and immediately oh. she makes a beeline for Tayanara Conchi. And this match underway. She doesn't give a shit about the match. She's just gonna, like, her first mission is beat the ever-loving crap out of this woman who fucked her up two weeks ago. So she attacks Conti and actually takes her out, puts her over the top rope. She herself swings under the bottom rope so that she's outside of the ring but not out of the match, looking to inflict more pain, but... Back-to-back, Tynera Conti attacks her, pushing her into the ring stairs. And then a ref goes, hey, you got to get the fuck out of here. So Tynera Conti walks away. And then Peyton Royce runs over. Oh, now it's my shot. Boom. (laughs) At one point, everyone in the ring had gotten into that Battle Royale spot where it's two people trying to push a third over the ropes. There were like six groups of three. Yeah, it was fun. You guys either planned this really well or didn't plan this and just all decided to do this spot at the same exact time. Battle Royals are a little rough on the camera crew and also other wrestlers because you need to be boring while one group of people is really exciting so you need to pretend like you're about to go over the ropes for about five or ten minutes there are just moments i legitimately don't know who i'm supposed to be watching right now you know lucha underground when they do stuff like this it's basically a falls count anywhere match with 17 people which Mm. means that all of the other wrestlers can actually clear out of the ring and still be involved in the match but like they can specifically put a spotlight on two people yeah maybe look into that wwe yeah or maybe book less than 19 people yeah yeah there's this great spot with rhea ripley on the apron and lacey evans and bianca belair are attacking her lacey evans keeps her busy bianca belair gets zyda and uses her as a battering ram against rhea ripley and then dumps them both out of the match oh by Bianca Belair, Zeta on the apron, and Zeta gets bounced from this battle royal. It then cuts to this shot of Bianca Belair looking at the work that she just did, and she's nodding. Damn right. She's like, yeah, I fucking did that. I used one person as a weapon against another person, and I'm like, what, maybe 140 pounds? This got a pop out of my roommate who was watching with me. Yeah, of course that's going to get a pop out of your roommate. She laughed. She was like laughing at it. She was like, oh my God, she swung her at it. (laughs) And then she dumped her over. I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. You've kind of forgotten about her. Who's climbing up the turnbuckle on the outside? It's Nikki Cross. Oh, 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 wait, Nikki Cross, who was never officially eliminated. Everybody in the ring looks up at her, stunned. I can't see what's happening. Are we boned? Yeah, we're boned. And she does a plancha off the top of the turnbuckle, and Domino's like, 
90% of the people in the ring fall over. Here she goes! Oh! For the Wiping out the majority of the competitors left in this battle royal! It's gotta be at least 10 people she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she does that, and then she jumps up, and six people back-to-back just hits him with a forearm shiver. The person to stop her is actually Billy Kay. So I like that they still gave her a spot to kind of remind you like, hey, even though Billy Kay is kind of of two prima donnas, the prima donna-iest, she can still hit Nikki Cross if she needs to. We're putting her at the top of the division for a review. Yeah. She's there because she's still pretty good. I liked that they called Nikki Cross the Bannockburn Banshee. Bannockburn Banshee is furious. According to rumors online, she is the longtime girlfriend of Killian Dane, who last week they were describing as the Beast of Belfast. Here comes the Beast of Belfast! They're perfect for each other. They're two, they're two monsters. They're two Scottish monsters. I thought they were really a couple, for real. Like, officially. I, I think that they are, but I've only seen yeah. it as fucking numbskull commentators being like, oh, you know that they're a couple, right? Yeah, they're great. And she's fantastic. I also found out that in the UK, they used to call her white chocolate cheesecake. Why did they call her white chocolate cheesecake? Did you find that out? Uh, no, but <laughs> my roommate who was marking out over her was looking her up. <laughs> she was telling me all these facts during the match. And I'm like, really? Who is this woman wrestling in a full corset? Oh, in England, they call her white chocolate cheesecake. I have no clue. I can't verify that. Because in all my experience, I've never heard her called that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not the biggest, uh, most knowledgeable guy on the block, so. So she might be going out with Killian Dane, and she might be called white chocolate cheesecake. She's a mystery. (laughs) She's a total enigma. We don't have hard facts on this woman. Oh, we're going to need to start doing an inquiry or something. Yeah, we need to get that guy who the Democrats hired to dig up dirt on Trump. (laughs) Some ex-MI6 guy to, like, really do a deep dive on Nikki Cross. How come William Regal doesn't have his documentary team dig up some info on her? I don't know. I really liked the small moment of Percy calls Bianca Belair the est. EST of NXT trying to make a way to Houston. Nigel McGuinness does not get this gimmick. The EST of NXT, what do you mean by that, Percy? That's the weirdest thing about it. Isn't there, like, official... They're all calling her that? Everybody's been calling her this. Percy calls her the est, and Nigel McGuinness goes... The est? What does that mean? Explain that, Percy. She's the baddest. She's the strongest. The EST of NXT, Nigel. Come on. But I just I just really liked, as a character moment, Nigel not understanding what S meant, <laughs> and then Percy being like, you know, she's the S. She's the baddest. She's the biggest. She's the best. She's the est. And then Nigel says, I'm with you. <laughs> Nigel realized that he was caught in a moment of not knowing what was going on and was like, gotta prove that I'm cool. Say something cool. What would a cool person say? I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's a fact, Jack. (laughs) You can take that to the bank. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. We get down to the final five in the ring. It's Bianca Belair, Mercedes Martinez, Candice LeRae, and... Billy Kay trying to apparently eject Nikki purely by force of tantrum alone. She has Nikki on the ropes and 
She doesn't seem to be trying to leverage her or anything. She's just bouncing her back and forth and screaming, which I really liked. Yeah. There's another fun part where she's, uh, there's another fun part when there's the final four where Billy Kay is just trying to push Nikki Cross through the post. <laughs> she's just like, you'll get out of the ring if I push you through this object. I will push you so hard you become insubstantial. You lose mass and can just phase through things. That's the only possible explanation. While she's doing her tantrum, it cuts to a shot of Peyton Royce on the outside, just giving Billy Kay the biggest double thumbs up and smile. (laughs) Go Billy Kay! Yeah! From here on out, it's just a series of amazing spots, just Amazing sequence after amazing sequence. First, Bianca Belair gorilla presses Candice LeRae over her head and throws her over the ropes, which was... Yeah, she holds her there for a while, yeah, right? with a full-grown woman held above her head. Wow, the strength oh! Bianca Belair! I told you, she's strong! press slams Candice LeRae, and LeRae has been eliminated! That's pretty est behavior. Yeah, that's very est behavior. Right on. Bianca dumps Billy onto the ring apron. Oh, this was fun. Goes for a punch, hits her, and as Billy is falling backwards, she grabs onto Bianca's ponytail. Ooh. Oh my oh, God! Look at this! Oh, using you got a handful of Bianca's hair to what? stay in this battle royal. First of all, how are they securing her extensions to her head? Because I can only imagine that they stapled this thing to her fucking skull. I feel like. It's probably woven in there, but then on top of it, notice Bianca was grabbing it at a very specific point, and I think that was, like, right after it will not break. I am holding it. I could pick up an entire woman, so this is not going to be a problem for me. But holy shit. She held that braid for a long time. And while she's holding it, I'm sure that it hurt, but she sells the shit out of how much it hurts. She's holding on to her braid, and she's, like, jumping up and down and screaming. Yeah. And Oh, it's great. Billy Kay takes a couple of seconds, kind of doesn't know what to do, just kind of screams and vamps, and then Peyton Royce from next to her starts miming pulling a rope, and all of a sudden Billy Kay's like, oh, right, I can pull myself back into this match. <laughs> so she crawls back up, and then... You know, because she's pulled herself up this person's ponytail, she grabs Bianca's head and just puts it into a turnbuckle. But then Bianca returns with the hair whip. I think that the way that they get that amazing whip crack sound is she has black plastic beads woven into that ponytail. So you're not going to see the beads because they're the same color as her hair. But when they clack against you, because every single time she hits somebody with this hair, it sounds like like she hit somebody with a bullwhip, which... Yeah, it sounds very whip-like. It's amazing. And of course, Billy Kay just goes to the floor immediately and starts screaming and she gets hit in the back and the stomach. Who comes to Billy Kay's rescue? Mercedes Martinez. Martinez and Bianca have a one-on-one where they're basically trying to outstrike each other, outbrutal each other, because it's a lot of like spears and chops and punches and 
it ends with Martinez giving Bianca a running big boot as Bianca sits on the top turnbuckle. But Bianca holds on and pulls Martinez out onto the apron. Nikki Cross comes out of nowhere, finishes them both off. So now it's just Nikki Cross and Billy Kay. And Billy Kay tries to take advantage of this. She jumps at Nikki Cross because she's like, oh, Nikki's back is turned. Nikki's too fast, slips back inside, dumps Billy dumps out. Billy. Nikki is number four. It worked out pretty good. Um, That final four, I love the match from that point on, especially. I liked when Martinez and Belair teamed up because you saw Belair team up with two other women before to take somebody out. We talked about it already. And then dump out the woman that she yeah. teamed up with. She's betrayal you know but martinez gets to show off the fact that hey i've been doing this for a billion years and i'm one of the best wrestlers there is in this ring i'm so experienced i'm not nervous about you at all because i know you're gonna turn on me as soon as we get this girl out the ring and then she turned around and and was ready yeah there were a couple of moments this match where i was like man if fucking Mercedes Martinez won this, I would be really happy with that. Yeah. We don't have a battle-hardened vet in that women's four-way that's going to happen. I feel like Martinez would have brought a really interesting feel to that women's championship match. I agree, because she would have been really fun in the four-way. I could see why she didn't win, but I hear what you're saying. You know, she clearly has the experience. The way that she takes moves and the way that she, like, carries herself in the ring is really impressive yeah belair i loved in this match too because she kind of those personal growth moments she tied the hair up uh after whipping billy with it because she was like okay this didn't work out for me this time they played with it they haven't used this hair as a weakness yet it's always just been a weapon it's been like oh is it legal oh it's such a oh it's such a dominant is it legal and now for the first time they really shown it as this could really be a disadvantage billy k is about to pull her hair out of her scalp. You can see her after this match being like, oh, that's why no other wrestler has six foot long hair. Oh, <laughs> I can see why people don't use this. They all keep it short so that people can't rip their skull open. I liked also that she was kind of frustrated with Martinez. I feel like that's the way that I'm playing it out that way myself. I could see a really good feud between... Bianca and Martinez, where it's basically mm -hmm. the new rising star versus the battle-hardened vet. Yeah, I could see and that. And, like, either one of them could really be the face or the heel, or it could be two heels against each other. Like, th there are a lot of options there, and it would be really, really fun. I could see that. I think it would be a lot of fun as well, because um, Belair is really... You know, she's got a she's got a, a a while to go, not a long way to go. She's already so physically impressive. But I'm wondering, have you ever heard her? Has she done a promo yet? No, I don't think she's done a promo. That's pretty much the only thing I think that's keeping her from being instantly just jettisoned up to the top right yeah. now. The hair gimmick plus being able to put somebody in a military press. Those two things alone... She doesn't even really need to cut an amazing promo. If she can just come out and sound semi-natural on the mic and just, like, yeah. say, oh, I'm going to kick your ass, I'd be like, great. Yeah. She doesn't have to do a lot of work either because I think 
she's already kind of like pre-made heel because she has the built-in cheat factor. So, because she just, every time she hits someone with the hair, it's like, is that legal? Like, it's not. It is. It's not. It's That's already, you know, heel factor. If she comes out and she's just like, I'm better than you. I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And then she wins by hitting people with the hair. She can still get over with cheating. She can still win with cheating and it still be physically impressive. She doesn't have to be a cowardly heel or anything like that. She she can work really yeah. well. Yeah. I really like that they get around a lot of that. Is this legal? Because they just refuse to admit that those are extensions. They're, oh, it's part of her body. It's part of her body. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Kind of. Well, eh. This is my hair. I don't wear wigs. That depends. I'm wearing a ring. Is that part of my body? <laughs> I have these glasses that uh, have razors sewn onto the end. That's kind of part of my body. I need them to see. I have, uh, you know, dentures in my mouth for the teeth, you know? And they're just loaded with gunpowder, and I just shoot people with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the match is over. Nikki is, for a second, basking in her glory. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. Come NXT take over Houston. Something wicked this way comes. William Regal brings out the woman's championship and holds it in the middle of the ring. And Nikki is like super happy with this. Yeah, she's like a kid in the candy store. And Peyton <laughs> Royce, of course, jumps in, pissed off that Nikki Cross took out Billy Kay, jumps in, starts yeah. getting in her face about how she's going to, you know, kick her ass. All of a sudden, whose music hits? Ember Moon. Ember Moon comes out. In gear, not in street clothes. And the full red lights and everything. She looks great. She comes out. She gets in the middle of the ring. She's saying she's going to take that belt from them two. And then... Well, you know who has to be considered a favorite? It's the Japanese warrior who won the first ever Mae Young Classic. Kyrie Sane's music hits, and like every single woman, when they would enter the ring, I got more excited. I love these four competitors. Kyrie walks into the ring. She puts her hand on her hips. She's just staring down with the rest of them. She looks completely ridiculous. Everybody is looking at her. She is completely ridiculous, and everyone is madly in love with her, including me. A feather hat as big as her body. She is so over the top. Yeah. Absurd. She's everything. It's, it's She's everything great. you could want. I don't know if Kyrie Sane is more everything I could want or if Nikki Cross is more everything that I could want. Because they they no, both have know. a lot to give. They're both amazing. They really are great, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be a really tough uh it's going to be a really tough match to watch cuz you really can make arguments for all four of them. What did you think specifically of Nikki getting the fourth spot? It was weird that she got the spot because she had already lost the spot and I know it was an interference thing, but it was so weird because it felt like why are you giving Nikki Cross like a million chances? Like I get it. There was interference. 
but it was really on her for chasing Tynera Conti around. She was going to get the pin on Liv Morgan, and Tynera Conti, like, like, pulled her off of Liv Morgan. Granted, it is a yeah. no-DQ match, so that is allowed, so... It's just, I understand it, but I also get a little bit, like, annoyed with it. You know, uh, how many chances are we going to give her? But at the same time, I feel like it's also... NXT's consideration of the fact that she kind of deserves this a lot. She's been a huge workhorse for the women's division for yeah. a while. She's been putting uh, great matches on with basically everyone else at the top of the women's card. And, and she's been like Asuka's chief rival, I would say, when Ember Moon... I know Ember Moon kind of takes that position, but whenever Ember Moon's not around, it's always Nikki Cross that's turning out the great matches. And that Iron Woman match yeah. was probably one of the best matches. High point of the division, definitely. It's honestly one of the best matches in the women's division. So, like, I, I understand that it's kind of a respect thing, too. You kind of have to give it to Nikki at this point. You have to give her that spot because she's so, yeah. you know great for your division for your whole show like she's getting her own music now she's really i love nikki cross so i'm not angry that she got it uh and i'm excited that she got it i kind of wish that it had been somebody like a mercedes martinez or a bianca belair um but i'm super glad it wasn't billy k because the four-way is going to be no dq anyway because it's a four-way so sure Billy Kay can just show up. Well, she's probably going to inject herself into the match anyway. I'm in agreement with you as well because we've already seen a four-way that had both Peyton Royce and yeah. Billy Kay in it with uh, Nikki and Asuka. And we've seen that four-way. We've seen how it plays out. It, it <laughs> plays out the way that we would expect it was going to play out. Um, the only difference is now Asuka's not in it, so maybe one of them could win. But, I mean, the, the problem is we've yeah. seen it. So that brings us to... We are told that we will see Alistair Black in action after the commercial break. As Alistair Black is in action. Next. And then, fake press conference. This was great. Yeah, this was really fun. Drew McIntyre is leaving the performance center, like I'm sure always happens. A gaggle of reporters run up to him and go, (laughs) Drew, Drew, where are you going? And... Um, he's going on a European press junket. Where am I heading? I'm heading on an international media tour. (laughs) Okay. And he starts explaining this, which he absolutely is not doing. He's not going on a European press junket. Are you insane? I'm heading on an international media tour. But then while he's talking into the man's iPhone. Drew! Hi, Zelina. How are you? Drew gets accosted by Zelina. My associates, Andrade Cien Almas and I, still haven't gotten the contract for the NXT Championship match from Mr. Regal. Why is that? Why doesn't Almas have a championship contract? And Drew again says, quote, I've told you once, I've told you twice. If it helps, I'll tell you thrice. <laughs> thrice? Yeah. See, and you doubted him. <laughs> yeah, no, this was, you know... The promise of last week was kind of fulfilled this week. This was very much a a coming out of a shell for me. Because he says, he needs to come and ask me man-to-man. 
He needs to look me in the eyes and ask me. And then I'm fine. But if he's not here, I'm not doing anything for you guys. And Zelina Vega gets like crazy eyes. Yeah. And Drew walks away. And the press then asks her for a response. And she yells, I'm not here to talk to you. I'm not here to talk to you. <laughs> walks away. <laughs> really good. Yeah, it was great. She is fantastic. And she is she is proving to be the magic pixie dust of NXT. You put her with anyone, and it just wakes people up and go, oh, that other guy is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it happened to Amis, and now it's happening to Drew. I told you, Drew just needs someone to play off of. It doesn't need to be a man. It could be a woman. And she is bringing out the best in him, because he looks like a badass when he's talking to her, and he's just like, your guy's not serious. He's not talking to me. It's like, oh, that's a really good point. Oh. Her and Almas being so cocky and so slimy brings out a interesting quality to his strong, silent type shtick. Because mm. beforehand, he had just been a strong, silent guy. And that isn't interesting. But now he's being very terse with somebody. And that's an actual, like character dimension you know oh yeah you can see him taking the time to go you don't have to curse you don't have to yell at this woman <laughs> take a deep breath and then go okay look i know what you want and i know what you're doing but i'm not gonna play your game i've already told you how to do this so just do it my way or get the fuck out of my face the whole thing really gets you amped up to see Andrade versus Drew McIntyre. That's actually going to be a pretty fun match. Yeah. That's, who would have thought that that's something you were going to say? Andrade Cien Almas versus Drew McIntyre would be really fun to watch, and you're going to be excited to see it. Yeah. And it makes you really look forward to uh, the match that Almas is even going to have after this. I did actually want to really quickly talk about that little interstitial image where they hyped uh, Roderick Strong versus Almas. Because it happened right before Zelina Vega accosts Drew. And of course, they have a rendered image of Zelina Vega behind Almas. Yeah. And she has the smirkiest, shittiest fucking face on. It's so great. That was the only thing. I think that that's why I forgot about it. Because I wasn't looking at it as a Roderick Strong versus Almas image. I was just like, holy shit, look at that photo of Zelina Vega. This is great. Yeah, she's really, she's turning out really good. Match three, and this is heavy quotes, match three. <laughs> no, this was Alistair Black in action, all right, Tristan? This wasn't a match. We were promised that he would be in action. He was coming out to wrestle somebody, but we never find out who. <laughs> Just all question marks. Because there's a huge pop for Alistair's music. And he appears, and he's, like, walking through heavy smoke. The camera gets right up in his face. They do that horror movie thing where they put the camera close up on his face. And then there's an even bigger pop because out of the smoke... <laughs> Velveteen Dream slowly rises behind his shoulder... <laughs> It was so cartoony. It was amazing. It was great. I was laughing 
for minutes. I had to pause the program and just <laughs> compose myself. It was so good. It was probably one of the funniest. I mean, and he's and he's doing his Velveteen Dream faces where he's like yeah. licking his lips and popping his eyes over and over again. Yes, it was so good. It was so amazing. It made me forget all about Moro calling him something something of lost souls again. Or yeah, yeah. Dumb. So so he tried to call him uh, the uh, Pied Piper of tortured souls again, but again those audio issues came back. Somebody had overpotted <laughs> Alistair's Black's music, and so you just kind of barely hear Morrow rambling in the background about some fucking He's goth shit. His teenage goth poetry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Velveteen Dream pops up, and he's wearing a jean vest, a black oh, yeah. bandana, yes, jeans, and white-toed cowboy boots. He looks so fucking good. He looks so fucking good. He's so amazingly fashion Afropunk. There were people that I knew in high school that looked like this, and I just wished that I looked like them. He's added the tough punk edge to his normal, completely polished fashion thing, and it looks really good. He looks great. The cowboy boots are such a good touch. Yeah. It's just such a garish, attention-grabby, yet stylish, yes, I am the heel. Look at my cowboy boots and go fuck yourself. He starts this off as the heel, but I think by the end of this little interaction, I came down on Alistair Black is now the bad guy in my mind. Because what happens is he pushes Alistair Black into the ropes and ties his arms up into the ropes and grabs him by the face and says, say my name, say my name. name. Big fucking slap. And then he grabs him by the neck. Say my name! Say my name, say my name! Another slap. Oh! Alistair Black refuses to do anything. So Velveteen Dream goes to run the ropes, bounces off the ropes, and is coming back. Alistair Black rolls out of the rope tie-up, does a big boot, goes for the black mass, but the Velveteen Dream rolls away. Nigel makes a big point of saying he's the first person to ever escape the Black Mass. What reflexes from Velveteen Dream? And and Velveteen Dream's face says it all. He knows. He knows he's become the first NXT superstar to dodge that Black Mass. So he's slinking away up the ramp and is rubbing it in Aleister Black's face. He does the, like, uh, finger pinch. This close. This close. Ooh, this close. You almost got me. This close. (laughs) Don't look now, Doc, but you missed me. Obviously, we both love Velveteen Dream. Yeah. But we also love Aleister Black. And so far, I've kind of seen this as two shitty personalities colliding. And this was the first time where after that second slap, I was like, just say his name. How bad is it to say his name? Who really gets hurt? Like, just say his name. You're now kind of being a dick. You're now being yeah. a dick. It obviously means a lot to him. You know, he. I think he kind of likes you a little bit. I think he wants to be your pal. Maybe you should just say his name. Yeah, he obviously likes you. Also, we're in an era when we should be like, 
addressing people the way they want to be addressed. Chuck was bringing this up after the Alistair Black promo a while ago where he was like, oh, he's a petulant baby or whatever. And so Chuck was like, is he being like a little homophobic there or something? I think that there's some of that going on. I don't really see it that way. But then again, I'm so blunt and opaque. I think the Velveteen Dream is just like a big, like sexy guy. They've Definitely been skirting that I issue. I think you just and do anybody. Probably more on the pansexual spectrum. But also, I think it's shitty that Alistair Black clearly is so insecure that Velveteen Dream is like slapping him and being like, just call me by the name I want to be called by. And Alistair Black's like, no. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I definitely, definitely see it that way, too. He's like people who call Caitlyn Jenner Bruce. Yeah, no, when you put it that way, he does look pretty bad. I, I don't think he's exactly that, but you know. No, I don't think so either. I don't think that's the intention, but I think it's starting to come off that way because this is playing out pretty long. <laughs> I think maybe if it was like two weeks long and then they started doing escalating the feud a little bit more and we weren't hung up on the Say My Name thing, it might be a little less of a... Does it, how does this even end, actually? Does it end with... Alistair Black being like, all right, we fought, I won, because I'm the baby face, but I respect you now, Velveteen Dream. I hope it ends with them making out. Like, that's that's what this should build to. I don't think it will, though. <laughs> but, but like, if he, if he respects Velveteen Dream at the end and calls him by his name, then what do we do with Velveteen Dream? Does he become a baby face? Like, what? <laughs> what, what do you do? I think that Velveteen Dream and Alistair Black, along with Toddy Potato. Do you know Toddy Potato? No, who the hell's that? Toddy Potato is Alistair Black's very fluffy white kitten that he has an Instagram for. <laughs> okay. And I just want them to be the world's most unexpected gay dad pairing. Like, I love... I... I, I I'm not one to usually ship people, but uh, I've started shipping them pretty hard where I'm like, I just want them to be a couple. I think that it would be amazing. I don't know. I think Dream might be too good for Alistair Black. Oh, so maybe this ends with Alistair Black revealing his true intentions and then Velveteen Dream being like, no, you snubbed me for too long. And also, I just wanted your respect. I'm not... I just, just... Oh, damn it. <laughs> that could be it. That could be the next weird slight. I just wanted your respect. I didn't want to bone you. What the fuck? You think you're good enough to bone the Velveteen Dream? Uh-uh. <laughs> Looking like that? That's the... There, that's how he stays as a heel. Yeah. Moro gives us a taste of what we are to expect for the next two months, probably. And probably for the rest of the Velveteen Dream's career, which is <laughs> the Velveteen Dream has become Alistair Black's worst nightmare. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That was unexpected. The whole dream nightmare thing. Oh, boy. And then finally, we come to our main event. And I know that we say this every week, but holy shit, this was a good match. <laughs> Yeah, this was this a was really good match. an amazing match. I think I took three pages of notes that 
increasingly get written in larger and larger handwriting because I get more and more excited. Well, the last um, page is probably just you writing holy shit over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like one of those notebooks that they find in the movie Seven, but it's just all about how amazing Zelina Vega is. So it's Roderick, it's Roderick and Andrade Cien Almas with Zelina Vega. A couple of things happen before the match. Andrade gets down in his idolo pose, right? He does the, like, bow, but then he, like, opens his arms and lets everybody bask in. Selena starts walking towards the ring. She gets about halfway down the ramp and then looks over at him and, like, with two fingers, beckons him forward. And he pauses, nods at her, stands up, and follows her. And I just spent this entire time. God, they're too sexy ass people and i don't mean that in a gross objectifying way i mean like they have this weird cocky playful relationship where they're both reveling in the fact that he's this gigantic adonis man and she is completely in control of him wow they're being so fucking effortlessly sexy yeah no it's i mean I think Almas always looks that way. I think Mexico was a fool. And yes, Mexico the person <laughs> was a fool to put a mask on that face. With the way he looks and the way he wrestles and his history, this guy doesn't even need to worry. Like last year when everybody was like, what the fuck's he doing in NXT? Uh, he's dragging his feet. Uh, uh, uh. Well, he could go anywhere he wants now. He looks so good. He wrestles so well. He could go to Japan. He's Naito's buddy. Yeah. That's where that whole thing came from. It's from this guy right here. Andrade continues into the ring. He continues to get the raised single fist from seemingly every person of color in the audience, while a whole gaggle of young white kids in the audience right by ringside just fucking hate him. <laughs> they do not like this dude. I, I saw I saw one white guy doing the fist. Yeah. I think. The cool white guy in the right. audience. I did the fist at NXT TakeOver. We had those uh, two Puerto Rican and two Dominican guys behind me, and I was a little self-conscious, but they were so into the moment that I was like, I'm just going to do this because I love this wrestler. So then Zelina cuts a promo in the middle of the ring. She says, You do not get the amount of success that I have by being a patient woman. Almost has yeah. been waiting for the contract from Drew. She actually spends a good amount of time building up Drew, saying you've been you've been climbing and you've been getting to the top of the mountain, but then she turns it on him. Like every good manager promo should, right? You need to build up the competition. Yeah. Otherwise, when you beat him, you didn't beat anybody. You yeah. just beat some guy that you didn't give a shit about. Because then she goes, But just like the last time that you were in WWE, climbing the mountain, the higher you get the harder it becomes to breathe. And only one person can breathe that rarefied air, and it's Andrade Cien Almas. Andrade spends the entire time just standing behind her and nodding, and then when she finishes, he does a little, like, polite golf clap and, like, bows to her. Thank you very much. He's a great, like, stand-around guy. I mean, this is what he was needing this whole time. You don't want him doing promos. You want other people doing promos around him. I do like the potential for the 
Zelina Vega English promo and then him just talking shit in Spanish promo. He's got to keep the tranquilo, though. He's got to keep that tranquilo. He needs to keep that attitude of just like, yeah, that's cool promo. Great. Yeah. I was listening to some of it. The match starts and we get a really quick start. There's a lot of chain wrestling. This is getting aggressive early. I like it. Side headlock being employed by Andrade Ciaramis, a hybrid of Lucha Libre, Puro Resu, and Sports Entertainment, but a quick float over into the front headlock by Roderick Strong. And then they go to really heavy strikes back and forth. Both of them block a hip toss. Strong hits an amazing-looking backbreaker. Andrade Ciaramis grounded, going for the hip toss, blocked. Strong blocked it, of course, the Messiah of the backbreaker with a pendulum backbreaker, good only for a one count. But of course, what else would you expect from Roderick Strong, right? Yeah. Could you imagine him doing something that's not a backbreaker? <laughs> it's very, very even. For a while, Almas gets the upper hand, and you can see Zelina on the outside of the ring loving it. She was doing a really good job from outside of the ring of selling the highs and lows the entire time for Almas. Andrade Cien Almas crashing into the corner with that clothesline and that chop to the chest of Roderick Strong. Much to the delight of Almas business advisor Zelina Vega at ringside. Vega is the one to watch whenever they do a, a wide angle to see her. She's either like so happy or when it looks like Roderick Strong is starting to come back. You can hear her even when she's not on the screen. You can hear her shout no. You can hear when Andrade gets hit no. And then you, you can hear her chanting and cheering for him when he's when he's in charge. This is really good stuff because as like a manager character... You want to see that from your manager. You don't want to see a manager that's walking around like being like, oh, yeah, okay. Almost gets thrown into the ropes and does the tranquilo. In the past couple of weeks, he's done the tranquilo and has realized that that's not a good idea. Zelina doesn't want him to do that and has fallen out of it. This time, he actually does it to sucker Roderick Strong into charging him. And he goes from the tranquilo into that triangle choke arm breaker combo over the top rope. Look at this. Oh! Tranquil, now got the arm. Triangle arm bar combination. Not going to get a submission, though, because he was on the ropes. It's so sick. And such a good bait move. It showed, like, he's like, ah, I'm thinking now. He's gone through being too cocky and then learning to not be cocky, and now is starting to almost use his cockiness as an actual offensive move where people think, oh, he's being cocky. I'm going to rush him. But he, it's like a, a trapdoor spider, you know? They think he's being cocky, and then at the last second, he puts him in an arm breaker over the top rope. It looks so great. At this point, right, like the story right now is that he's like winning, and Strong has to gets these like little explosion moments the audience starts chanting and clapping and every time they clap he kind of bounces a little and then he's finally able to power through it but he's definitely hitting a lot of the baby face in ring moments that um I think do his character good. One of the things that I think with strong in this match is like during moments like that, when he comes back, he comes back quick and fast. He gives people like 
these rallies, but they're really short. So it kind of gets people on edge because even when they see him get that rally going, they know like there becomes a pattern where it's like, okay, but now he uh, almost is going to go back to dominating the match. And it really takes a while for Roderick to recover from this like section of the match where he's just consistently getting outdone every time he comes out and, you know, gets some offense off. Andrade is able to shrug it off or like kind of get through it and then return to being an advantage. Great way to change momentum there of the match. Strong, slow to follow up. Almost oh. rolls right back into the ring. Step up and Zagiri by Strong. Almost still standing. Strong is kind of coming back and he's doing these really hard strikes against Almas. He's doing these hard strikes. Almas is teetering but refuses to fall down. He spent like a good minute or two straight standing in the middle of the ring and like Roderick Strong would hit him with a couple of elbows or a couple of knees and he would teeter for a while and then Roderick Strong would be like, okay, I guess a couple more. He'd like, you know, kicks to the gut. Nope, refused to go down. Strong still unable to knock the bigger man off his feet. Um, he finally gets him down with a crazy leaping lariat, and then it goes back into just a crazy series of counters. At one point, Almas goes for the triangle chokehold armbreaker combo over the top rope again, but this time, Roderick Strong has scouted him and gets him into a weird, I don't know. Some other weird rope-based submission thing. But it was cool. I mean, whatever it was, I don't know. I think it was just like kind of like, well, your legs are here and your arms are here, so that's what you got. But it looked cool. I liked it. Yeah, and it and good. it was cool, again, to see, like, it's been this very even match where they're both kind of too good to lose to the other one at any particular moment. You know, they both of them have ways to respond to each other. So, of course, Roderick Strong would, after getting out of that first triangle arm breaker combo, immediately think the next time he does this to me, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, yeah, I'm going to fuck him up for that. Yeah. And it's nice to see that, you know, this, there's that element of learning going on, which was cool, which was what one of the things that I really liked when Almas was fighting Gargano. Yeah. You, you got to see some of that, too. Roderick Strong is on the apron with Almas and does a step up in Seguri to a backslam on the apron. Oh, the step up in Seguri by Strong on the apron. Oh, back first to the apron goes on Sin Almas. Yeah, oh, that looks like it would hurt pretty bad. <laughs> looks like it would have hurt a lot. Yeah. He goes for the cover. Almost gets his shoulders up. Now we're at the part of the match where every single false fall actually feels like it could actually be the end of this match. Because Almost yeah. gets his shoulder up. Roderick Strong puts Almost on the turnbuckle to go for something, but they're both kind of too tired. They start doing those like lazy I'm tired slaps to the chest near yeah. the end of the match when like the wrestler clearly like the story is these guys are too tired to actually think about what they're doing so they're just gonna like slap 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 deep breath slap 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 deep breath and then yeah. out of nowhere oh. Amos on that second turnbuckle foot to the face of Roderick Strong oh. tornado DDT Oh, it's Strong escapes at two and a half. 
almost does a tornado DDT from that sitting position on the top of the turnbuckle. Yeah, that's usually where people get, you know, suplexed off of at this point in a yeah. match because they just sit on top of the on top of the ring post drooping and you're like, okay, it's time. <laughs> I was not expecting that tornado DDT. Um, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Percy says and the things I love about Andrade Spin almost he can hit big move after big move anywhere in the ring at any time. Hey, that's a good call, Percy. Oh, Thank Percy. you. Thank you. You you said exactly oh, what cool. I was thinking. You're watching this one, Percy. Glad. <laughs> but <laughs> this crazy tornado DDT, Roderick Strong kicks out at two. Yeah. And neither of them are doing any lazy pins, uh, which, again, is a really nice story element for Almas. He hasn't once tried to do the, like, lazy-ass just... The lay on the back, yeah. yeah. That was close, but you see how deep he got in that pinfall attempt, hooking the leg and putting all of his body weight across the shoulders of Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong goes for a tiger driver, but Almas but counters it into a head scissors into the corner. Yeah, that was really cool. He does a spinning elbow to force him back into the corner and then does his running double knees, which I love. Oh! For the Tiger Driver. spinning back elbow. Connects on the job, Roderick Strong. Strong is stunned. He's in trouble. Double knees! We haven't mentioned this before, but... His running double knees are a part of his uniform, his ring gear, yeah. because his knee pads have fists on have them. Fist on them. Yes. Such a good little, just this small touch. It's a fun little detail. He's going to punch you with his knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then that gets a kick out at two. So nobody is going down. It seems like this is just going to be like a two-hour match. Zelina Vega is on the outside of the ring yelling, finish him, over and over again. Finish him! Come on! Go! Atabalo! Vega at ringside enjoying Almas to finish Roderick Strong. Almas puts him in the hammerlock DDT, but Roddy slips out of it, and they kind of exchange a couple of forearms. He goes for that same spinning back elbow and puts Roderick Strong in the corner, goes for the double knee again, but this time Roderick Strong gets up too quick and just fucking plows into his face with his foot. I like this about Strong that it looks like it's like, okay, never do the same thing twice on me. Yeah, I learned too quick. Yeah, that's a really nice aspect of him. I might not end up being the strongest or the biggest or the fastest, but if you hit me one way once, don't fucking try that again. Plus, never talk about my manhood or my family. My wife. Because then I'll engage, I'll, then I'll embark on a 45 minute long promo that no one wants to hear. I don't know if I've told you this, but I grew up poor and my mom and dad weren't always there for me. <laughs> yeah, we know Roderick Strong. Okay. So he gets him with a flying knee and then does an Olympic slam on him. Then he kicks him out of the ring and does a wrecking ball drop kick. So almost looks like he's at death's door. Momentum is definitely on Roderick's side. He pushes him back into the ring. 
Yes. While the ref is checking on Almas, from the apron, Zelina Vega does a flying head scissors into the stairs on Roderick Strong. Now Roderick Strong took it on gas. What the Vega! Oh, And this is where the handwriting in my notes goes crazy. Yeah. Uh, I knew something was going to be up because that ref took way too long to follow Almas all the way to the center of the ring. But, I mean, that still was super surprising. I was expecting a kick or a smack or hitting with a chair. You don't expect the intergender attack at this point at all i mean it is 2017 but is it 2017 yet really i guess so i i literally wrote down intergender wrestling is finally in the wwe because every other time we've seen a heel woman manager or valet attack another wrestler it's like thumb to the eye sand in the face slap hit with a chair it's never this was a capital W, capital M wrestling move. This was a fucking yeah. flying head scissors takedown into the steel stairs. This was another part that my roommate popped over. So almost pulls Roddy back into the ring and does the hammerlock DDT and almost wins. Takes it. And then the way that almost wins and doesn't give a shit, he shows. He's like, yes, I've come so long of a way. Don't worry, I'm not turning babyface yet. He turns, he turns to Vega, and does this chef's kiss, Mwah! with yeah. his fingers, like he's like, it's like beautiful. Oh, you did your job perfectly. Thank you so much. Couldn't have done this without you. There was definitely some cheering and some booing, but I think mostly it was people not knowing, like, what the fuck was going on. Oh, yeah. Especially considering was, you think that the episode huge. is over, and then they walk over to commentary. Mauro is, you know, buying them time. Vega pushes in. We want to know if you're a man of your word. So next week, Andrade will meet you face to face. Then Almas takes the mic and just shit talks him in Spanish for a while. Show up because true. This is scary. True. Está asustado. And then they walk away. Yeah. And of course, Nigel is like, Who speaks Spanish? Who here speaks Spanish? What did he just say? Percy's like, yeah. I don't speak Spanish, but it seemed like he was mad at someone. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, no, he called, he called him scared. I yeah. know that. And I think that that was brought up by the commentary team. Roderick Strong lost to a cheap shot. Since he lost to a cheap shot and cheating, he might maybe be inspired to do a little cheating on his own. I mean, that might be a natural inclination. I don't know if um, Roderick Strong is the kind of performer that can get over as a heel. See, now, I don't know about that either. Definitely not on his own. He certainly could never be a heel on his own, right? I mean, there's no way. All of a sudden... Shock the fucking system. The NWO ripoff theme plays. 
uh, Undisputed Era shows up. Bobby Fish is still wearing jeans, still looking like a fucking madman. Looks great. And Adam Cole has his fucking patented Ring of Honor man bun on. He is rocking the man bun. It is time to want to punch someone in the face. And Adam Cole lets you know that the time is now. Uh, Adam Cole walks up to Roderick, who's just standing in the ring, beaten and bruised. That's how you start off something if you're trying to convince somebody to be your friend, right? Everybody else thinks you're a loser, but I just want you to know that I would never call you a loser. Look around. You know it. You're not a loser. You're not a loser. (laughs) You're not a loser. It was so good. It was so good. Even Kyle O'Reilly wasn't making crazy faces at this point because he was just like, this is Cole's time to shine. He's going to say some good shit. (laughs) Then he starts, of course, bringing in the family. But you got to not let down your family. Join us. We're undisputed. We're going to be at the top of this soon. And we want to bring you with us. And the entire time, Fish is standing next to him, just going, He's right. You will be. Listen, he's right. He ain't lying. Yeah, that was really good. Kyle as the quiet, crazy man. And Fish as the hype man, you know, like... Adam Cole is a character on his own, but Fish is just going to stand behind him with a big fucking clock around his neck being like, So they hand Roderick Strong a weird Nazi armband that has the Undisputed Era (laughs) logo on it. A third of the crowd is super into this. Yeah, there's yes chance. They want Roderick Strong to become a weird wrestle Nazi with these (laughs) like creeps from ring of honor there's a third of the audience that are very firmly in the know like they do not want this to happen is is it gonna happen are we gonna have the ring of honor invasion there's also a (laughs) very strong third of the crowd that doesn't seem like they want it or don't want it they still don't know what's going on because there was this woman in the front row who just hands on face pulling down her face all the way down like eyes bugged oh my god just like there are people melting down in the audience trying to figure out if this is a good thing or a bad thing and then roderick strong takes the armband and adam cole says The world will be ours. It was really good. When, when do, when are we gonna buy undisputed era t-shirts? Like when? Like, come on, this is such a good angle. Because you know what? The best thing is gonna be like next week, Adam Cole versus like, I don't know, No Way Jose, and Adam Cole's gonna be roll, running away the entire time. It's gonna be so crazy. <laughs> Half of their moments are going to be really dark and intense, and the other and the half other are going to be fucking Looney Tunes episodes. It's super great. So, uh, Alec, yeah. did you like this episode? I did. Yeah, it was I great. I did like this episode. I thought it was really good. Like, the comedy on this mat, on this show was really on point. Um, We didn't even have Street Yeah, profits. yeah, I know. NXT has been 
really threading the needle perfectly between nonstop action and knowing that this is goofy as shit. And it's like, it's so great. Between Sanity, Sanity does it as well, and Undisputed Era, and yeah, the Street Profits, and, uh, you know. Their creative team is even kind of like running with it, with the uh, Undisputed Era bits, and the William Regal, like, weird, like, documentary thing. It seems like everybody's a little bit in on the joke, but at the same time, everybody knows it's not a joke. So it's just such a fun and really like worthwhile thing to watch think that one of the reasons why they pull that off so well is that the commentary and the way that they introduce interviews and promos and everything make it feel like you're looking through a weird window at a much larger wrestling show in another universe, you know? William Regal has to be taping all of these fucking interviews with the press for something. It's just not for NXT. It's for another show, right? I mean, like, yeah, like half the time there are visible microphones in front of him. Drew McIntyre had a press team following him around, and that is for something. It's just not for this show, you know? Yeah. Whereas the main roster, they don't do any of that like three-dimensional universe building where they just go like, oh, we need an interview. Let's cut to Charlie Caruso and she's going to go, I'm here interviewing so-and-so. The interview starts, right? That's basically all you get. After NXT, if we lived in the universe of NXT, it would then go to a like hour-long news show where they're like, we followed up with Drew McIntyre. Apparently, he's going on a press junket in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which is going to really explain why he's facing off against Andrade next week. <laughs> that was uh, the episode. And like we said, it was a great episode. Really liked it. Yeah. You want to talk about some other topics? All right. Let's go nice and quick. In a little bit, I want to talk about Asuka's debut uh, on the main roster. But first, I want to do a really quick rundown. Um, I thought it would be interesting to maybe just talk really quickly about some of the NXT personalities on Raw and give them a really simple, like, uh, you know, up or down vote on them. And we'll see what we got. First, we have Apollo Crews. After not seeing him for months, we saw him this week getting his ass kicked when SmackDown invaded Raw. Do you think that they're doing anything good with him? I guess I'll say thumbs up because he's appearing. Oh, I I would not say thumbs up to that. <laughs> They've completely dropped the ball. He hasn't been seen forever. Next, we have Braun Strowman. He used to be in Bray Wyatt's family, and now he's a gigantic mountain of a man who runs roughshod over the entire division. And the last time we saw him was at TLC when he got put into the back of a garbage truck and crushed in its trash compactor. What do you think? Yes or no? I would say thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I say agree. Thumbs up. I think that he they're doing a good job with him. Anything beats being in the Wyatt family. 
Speaking of which, we have yep. Bray Wyatt, who used to be a cool cult leader and then was doing a weird I'm possessed by a woman's ghost thing before revealing that he probably had mumps and couldn't wrestle. Uh, he has apparently never won a match, but used to deliver good promos. Thumbs up, oh. thumbs down. <laughs> Thumbs down, but I'm kind of interested to see the Sister Abigail thing at one point in time, and then maybe he can just go in the trash can. Or maybe too. he comes back with a fun, I had a disease from a hundred years ago gimmick. <laughs> I got yeah. the mumps. I thought I was vaccinated against that. Next up, we've got Cesaro. Cesaro is the Swiss Superman. He's an amazing worker and recently had two of his teeth pushed back into his skull um <laughs> recently he's been having a really fun tag team with Seamus. thumbs up or thumbs down i give him a thumbs yeah, up me too i give him a thumbs up because he's getting him his own self yeah over by ripping up people's yeah. things sure dean ambrose seth rollins and roman reigns the shield they were all in nxt mm -hmm. they were all in the shield they all went their separate ways. They all came back again to be a part of the Shield again. And then Roman Reigns also mysteriously got ill. So thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. I would say even though Seth Rollins stole the V-Trigger and even though Roman Reigns is in there, I like Dean a lot. Thumbs up. Also, I like Seth a little bit. And Roman, I think, is going to be great in the Shield. So I'm happy with him being I would give recently an unqualified thumbs up to Dean Ambrose a barely qualified thumbs up to Seth Rollins and I was really looking forward to uh Roman Reigns but he's sick so what the fuck can you do so I'll give him a thumbs up too so yeah sure um next we have used to be Elias Sampson then was El Vagabundo. Ooh, that was short-lived. Then came to Raw as Elias Sampson, and now is simply Elias, the annoying hipster, folksy guitar guy who makes fun of your town. Thumbs up. Yes, big thumbs up. He got Jason Jordan over. Did, did he? Of. Because the next person is Jason Jordan, and I would say... Thumbs down. Unless they institute a king of the supermarket gimmick which is what michael cole called him when he started throwing cabbages and celery at elias the other night uh yeah he's an amazing wrestler but they are just not doing fucking shit with him man next up we have finn balor finn balor was a sexy 1950s irish tough guy in a leather jacket and then he was a demon and then he got put into a program with Bray Wyatt that didn't go anywhere, and then had a great match with AJ Styles, but who knows what the fuck they're going to do with him next. Thumbs, Thumbs down. down. Yeah, I know. I can't believe that I'm saying that about Finn Balor. But... I, yeah, we're giving Finn Balor a thumbs down. Next up, Neville. Thumbs up. I don't even care. Okay. Thumbs up. Good for you. You got out. <laughs> you did something great. Go. Go do something great somewhere else. You're going to be great. You're going to be Yeah, I'm no going to give him... A thumbs up, even though they handled him so poorly. You gotta hand it to a guy where they took your belt and put it on Enzo Amore, and he was literally like, 
I don't work here anymore. Fuck you guys. Yeah, no, he saw the writing was on the wall. And unlike a lot of people who would just soldier on and be like, it might get better. He was just like, no, I don't care if it gets better. I'm going to make it better by just going away. Alexa Bliss. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. And when she loses in five seconds when Asuka knocks her into next week, it's going to be awesome. Thumbs up on that, too. She's great. Next, we've got Bailey. Bailey used to be the fangirl supreme who became women's champion of NXT, then moved to the main roster and has had diminishing returns ever since. Thumbs down. There are still a ton of people in the audience that love Bailey, and they don't know how to make them cheer, which is crazy. Emma was uh, the the fun dancing lady. She came to the main roster and people didn't give a shit. So she went back and became the mean, it's all about me, who gives a shit woman. Helped start the woman's revolution. So they brought her back to the main roster where she is the women's division jobber. I mean, I guess it's safe to put a thumbs down because it's not, she's not up, she's not over the hill yet. So thumbs down. Also, they fucked her music, and that was, like, the best thing. Next up is Nia Jax, the gigantic Samoan superpower who is just the women's division monster. Um, She came from NXT, had a kind of rough start on the main roster, finally started getting over, and then recently might also be threatening to leave because of how they've been booking her. They've been actually building her as a monster pretty well recently. Yeah, I think they've been doing... A so I would actually her. give the her a thumbs problem... up, and, and they're handling of her. Yeah, I'd give her a thumbs up, too. I think they're handling her well, too. Um, closing in on the end, we've got Sasha Banks. The boss, the complete boss, she used to be an amazing heel and then had a long main roster feud with Charlotte. Um has never held the belt for more than a week, which is kind of bullshit, but somebody in creative seems to care about her enough to not completely forget about her. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. I think I'm going to give it a thumbs down, too. And last but not least, we have the new addition, Asuka. You want to talk about Asuka a little bit more in depth? Yes, please. Let's do that. I don't want to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down because yeah. I don't know yet. So Asuka debuted on Sunday against Emma at TLC. They had a match on Sunday, and then they had a follow-up match on Raw the night after, and both of them kind of charted the same trajectory. Not a super long match, but not a squash match by any means. Um, Where... There was a lot of back and forth, but then Asuka got the Asuka lock on and had Emma go out to submission. How did you feel after the pay-per-view match? I felt fine with it. I know a lot of people were, including people who know way more about wrestling than me. I heard the Meltzer thing. I heard all that stuff. I know a lot of people were hoping for a squash, and I get that, but I'm a really big Asuka fan. Watched a lot of Asuka stuff. And I just feel like her style of wrestling is not a squash wrestler. She is the just overly dominant kind of wrestler, but not overly dominant like 
I'll never let you hit me. I'll beat you to death. I'm doing all that stuff. It's more like you can hit me with everything that you have and nothing that you have is going to phase me enough to let you win. You just can't beat me. You're not at my level. You can hit me with everything. You can frog splash me. You can smash me off the, off the top of the thing. You can knock me off the apron. You can do whatever you want. And I'm going to laugh it off. And then I'm going to beat you. Because no one can defeat me. That is the way that I see Asuka. And that's the way I saw that, that pay-per-view match running. And I thought that that was actually fine. That's a fine way to build Asuka as a dominant uh, wrestler. Because it shows her strength. Which is not... I think if you watch all of her other matches. Especially like the matches with Ember and things like that. Her strength is so... Heavily based on the fact that she can take all the punishment in the world and she can still get up and win and it doesn't matter. And I think that that really is something valuable to show. So I think it wasn't a bad thing that that match went that long. A lot of those things that you're talking about worked so well in NXT because she had already been built. And I know that everybody is still cheering for her. I'm really glad that that's happening. Yeah. But you got to remember, everybody was cheering for Shinsuke Nakamura. I also ended watching that match at TLC super happy because I was so worried that they were going to tank it. And I don't think that they outright tanked it. It was a good Mm. match. They both looked strong. That was the thing that I was most worried about because I don't want them to continue to bury Emma. So I was really worried because I was like, No matter who wins this match, they're going to be burying somebody that I don't want them to bury. Either Emma, because they haven't given her a fucking good win in a while, or Asuka, because it's her fucking debut and people should see her as powerful, you know? As I thought about it, I was like, I kind of only liked it because it was Asuka versus Emma. Either you put somebody that they have proven is super tough in there Nia Jax or um Sasha Banks would have been good and you have it go really long to show off both people that I would be fine with or you have a a couple of her first opponents be squash matches but if if she had squashed almost anybody else on the roster weirdly even Bailey because I kind of feel Bailey is until they do something new with her irredeemable and also they at least talk about how bailey is a competitor commentary does not build emma commentary shits on emma i feel like every step of this hasn't been chosen well because the first thing that they didn't do right is nobody should have wanted to face asuka the match that emma won should have been a match that somebody lost and the loser has to face Asuka. Because that that builds mm. Asuka as a fucking nightmare. You could have a match where a person who didn't want to be involved in it and didn't prepare for it gets steamrolled by Asuka. That builds one way. It shouldn't have been Emma. Because they haven't been making Emma look strong. A lot of her matches are about outlasting and yeah. weathering somebody else's storm. I still feel like you have to build up on the main roster, and mm. then they have almost the same exact match on Monday. This is where I got scared because everything that I said went out the window when I saw the exact same fucking match again. And I was like, why did they do this? 
Why did they give Emma a rematch against her instead of putting her up against someone else? Why did they this time have the exact same thing play out instead of a big squash? Why did they not make Emma look any stronger like countering the moves that were from yesterday? From yesterday from the day before that's the other thing that's insane this is the thing that drives me crazy about the whole thing is that i got the feeling that they said oh shit we made a mistake we put her on a pay-per-view we have to debut her on raw because not everybody saw the pay-per-view why do you have to do the exact same match the next night this is where the whole thing fucking goes out the window because what the hell was that? Everything that I said about, oh, yeah, you know Asuka, so you know that she can take every move and she can do blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, she took all those moves already, so now she just doesn't need to take them. Now she squashes her in three minutes tops. That's what happens, and then you're fine. But no, instead what ended up happening is you get the exact same match. And I'm sure that the people in the audience who did the fucking pay-per-view weekend where they watched the whole thing and they come back the next day, they were probably scratching their heads like, didn't I, what, what, didn't I see this? It wasn't Asuka gloating about her victory and then Emma trying to attack her from behind and Asuka just you know, rolling her immediately into an arm breaker. That would have not made Emma look like a worse competitor. It would have made Emma look like a bigger heel and Asuka look like the kind of person that even when somebody sneaks up on them, they can take care of it. That would have done better for both of them. But instead, they have the exact same match, which just proves... Asuka is on Emma's level, and for the last six months, we've been telling you, Emma isn't shit. Which is sad, because I love Emma. Like I said, I just went on that long rant. I want them to be doing Emma better, but we also have to deal with, like, the reality of what this main roster looks like and the failures they've done in booking it. I think the roster needs to be deeper. I think they need more women. I think they need jobbers or something like they need something because they have at least eight women and they only use four there needs to be someone asking can squash in her first like two matches that shows because like if they are not going to do it right with the i took every move and now i'm going to beat you thing which they didn't do because they did it twice and it was exactly the same thing if they're not going to do it right then they need to have her squash somebody and if they can't sacrifice anybody on this list then uh-oh I guess you need a better women's roster. If they had had the match that they had on TLC, mm-hmm. that would have been good. They sh- She should show up on Raw, and if you want to have a match, put her in the ring with a local nobody that she can just demolish. They did it with Nia. They did sure. it with Braun. They know that they can get local wrestlers who don't mind taking a loss on a WWE ring, yeah. but they didn't do it for this reason, even though they've spent months building this amazing wrestler. I'm going to continue to say it. I feel like is the best wrestler alive right now, and they're just going to throw it away because nobody's paying attention on Raw. Because I felt like they did at least a good enough job at the TLC match, they didn't completely botch it. I was like, oh, they're basically now using Asuka as a way to bribe me into watching Raw because I like this wrestler so much. And sure. I'm just getting more and, and more bitter and about it. you thought that they were just going to give you good matches with yeah. her. Yeah. But they're just, maybe she's just going to be in a program with fucking Emma 
where she just has the same match every week for like two months, and then maybe they're actually gonna have Emma Pinner yeah, or something. Yeah, who the fuck knows? She's gonna be. She's gonna be fucking. They're gonna throw it all away for like some dumb cheap pop at some fucking pay per view bullshit. This is like ugh. To get back on more of a discussion track that isn't just us complaining, yeah, right, it goes back right. to something that I talked about. I want to say the first episode. The difference between the main roster and NXT and NXT because it's a developmental division everybody is working to try to make it better everybody's working to give every wrestler the best opportunity to get over the main roster as we can see is a way for Vince McMahon McMahon to put you in a steam press and squeeze out Every dollar he can hyping a shitty pay-per-view. But I think he's going to like Asuka because she hits people with her butt. Uh, She doesn't hit people with her butt. She does a flying hip attack. Get it straight. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's not going to see it that way. Are you kidding me? She hits people with her butt. (laughs) She's going to sell so many action figures. (laughs) The main main (laughs) roster is not a an environment that is conductive towards getting people over. It's a, an environment that's conductive yeah. towards selling merch, selling pay-per-view views and selling tickets. I don't want to sound like a guy that never takes a shower and weighs 400 pounds and is the worst person on earth. But I saw kids holding Oscar signs and I was like, Oh no. Oh, you think that they're just going to make her a fucking white meat? <laughs> I no, hope I not. No, no. I don't know, because the purpose of the main roster is to sell t-shirts. I don't know. Kids buy t-shirts, man, more than anybody. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. I bought one. Yeah, I, I got an, I got an Asuka cool t-shirt. Again. It was the first wrestling t-shirt I ever bought. Hopefully, she continues to stay over, and hopefully, they make a main roster Asuka t-shirt, which I think they already have, and it sells really well. Mm. And hopefully that gives her some credit with creative and with booking to like be Oscar. But yeah, on the up on the upshot, I do think that when she ultimately goes to fight Alexa Bliss, she's gonna fucking destroy her in like ten minutes or less. I I want to see one where Alexa disqualifies herself so that she can retain the belt. And then they give her a no disqualification a match, idea. and Asuka just picks her apart immediately. You know what they should do? They should just bring Minoru Suzuki over. That's what they should do. Put him on the main roster, and when he twists Roman Reigns' neck off, that'll be pretty fun. This isn't NXT anymore, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, okay. I'm just going to break all the your The whole fingers. point of this <laughs> fucking podcast is that the main roster doesn't understand wrestlers or their characters and fucks everybody up so it would be like he'd have an amazing run at nxt and then come up and they'd be like oh you know what his uh his new gimmick is it's he's a loving dad <laughs> like minora suzuki yeah, comes yeah, out and he's, he's like old. let's make him come out he's a soccer coach. he comes out and he's like now i know that your allowance is only ten dollars but you've really wanted that video game so i'm gonna give you an extra five this week Oh, thanks. If you save hard enough, you can buy WWE 2K18 when it comes out. 
<laughs> oh god, that would be horrifying. They would do they wouldn't even do that because that's making me laugh. <laughs> uh, no they would. Cuz then Jinder would come out and make fun of him for being Japanese. He'd play the clip back and he'd be like, "Ho ho ho, look at you." Yeah, so we can't use any of that. <laughs> I don't know. I can find a place for it. <laughs> well, that was the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Tune back next week to find out what's next. What's NXT?